The following podcast is a production of Hardly Awesome Studios in association with the network. Find us at BICBP-radio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Silencer Phones. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Chavez, joined as always by Sean Fritz. That's me. I'm back. I'm here. I didn't go anywhere, but I don't think you did either, Chris. But... I mean, you did. You went to you went to where? Wait, hold on a second. It was Roanoke. Yeah, I went to Roanoke for a convention last week, and I'm sure there was somewhere else that I was. State of <laughs> Let's, let's quote Blues Travers, state of affairs and a state of opinion. Anything <laughs> nice. Anything anything big happen at Roanoke? Did you meet somebody cool? Did you did you anything anything stand out from that? Uh, I actually, yeah. And and this is uh, I met a lady uh, and I can never remember what her last name is, uh, but I just found it on Wikipedia. There uh, you go. Rena Robbins. Uh, she wrote on Wonder Woman or I'm sorry, did artwork on Wonder Woman post crisis. But even before that, she did an under, she's from the Bay Area, uh, did a lot of uh, in the 60s and 70s, did a lot of underground women run newspaper, like underground newspapers and things like that. Nice. Uh, like, why do women have to be so um, one dimensional in comics and nice. you know, have to be basically why does Power Girl have to have a boob window? <laughs> right, right. Exactly. And, you know, uh, objectified and everything else and did a great. She gave Wonder Woman pants. If you remember that run. Yeah, yeah. She was she was a gem. She was a doll. That's awesome, dude. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Uh, kind of segues into what we're talking about today. Our movie comes from the comic book world and comes from the old school comic book world. Like I said, when these colors were just kind of the bright, vibrant colors, not computerized, not texturized. Um, but yeah, we're talking a comic book movie. One of the classic characters. This was a character that was around before Marvel was Marvel. Before Stan Lee was more than just a, a gopher. Yeah, exactly. We're talking Captain America, the last. Oh, <laughs> we're talking Captain America, the first Avenger. I know this neighborhood. I got beat up in that alley. You just don't know when to give up. I could do this all day. Do you have something against running away? If you start running, they'll never let you stop. You're really going to do this now? There are men laying down their lives. I got no right to do any less than them. I can offer you a chance. Our goal is to create a new breed of super soldier. When he brought a 90-pound asthmatic onto my army base, I let it slide. I am looking for qualities beyond the physical. You win wars with guts. Grenade! Everybody down! Is this a test? He's still skinny. Whatever happens, stay who you are. Not just a soldier, but a good man. 
too late to go to the bathroom. <laughs> actually did it. Who the hell are you? The first of many. Hydra is the Nazi deep science division led by Johann Schmidt. He thinks he's a god. He's willing to blow up half the world to prove it. You're not even close to this technology. I asked for an army and all I got was you. Congratulations. You just got promoted. Mr. Stark? I had some ideas about the uniform. You're gonna get so many girls. Captain, we are much alike. I don't know if I can do this. You won't be alone. What made you so special? Nothing. I'm just a kid from Brooklyn. Hey! You're late. Nobody's perfect. The last Avenger? What the hell's the matter with me? Did you ever read Captain America comics? Or was he in just certain comics you were reading, like Avengers, or he just showed up? You know what I mean? Uh, no, I never read Captain America comics uh, by themselves. I mean, I was more into like the standard, uh, the, you know, the Captain America was always a secondary character for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the thing, too, right? Captain America was a character that was created way back during World War II era. 30, not 30, wait, when, when, when was he created? In the 30s or 40s? I want to say it was 41, maybe. 1941. Uh, yeah, so America entered the war in 42. Yeah, so there's a certain story to when they brought him back, because when they brought him back for 100, right, that was the idea that he came back into the present day now after having been frozen. And so this movie is going to try to take a lot of what we saw in the comics and apply it to how it's going to work now in the more updated Marvel Cinematic Universe, because there are things that are happening in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and we know this already in hindsight after seeing everything build up that a lot of that didn't go down that way in the comics. Right. But that's OK. They took kind of the spirit of things and a lot of the kind of timestamps and, and key points and brought that into the, the movie world. Well, history has a way of repeating itself, you know. But yeah, that's what they do. They're, they've been taking a lot of these comic stories and bringing the essence of them to the screen, but putting on, you know, updates to it so that it makes sense to to modern viewers. Comics have been doing that for years, retcon, yeah. retroactive continuity, retconning uh, is a thing we all know, you know, as readers like, all right, when are they going to change this? When are they going to bring this person back from the dead? Right. So let's get into the plot. The plot takes part of the com- the comic book story where they find him frozen on ice so that we start in modern day in the Arctic with obviously advanced technology lasers that are cutting out stuff in the ice right and then we see them pulling out the glowing box right the tesseract and we also see hey look what else we found here and we see captain america's shield and i think the tesseract was found in the flashbacks toward the end of the movie on the sea floor. oh you're right you're right that that was later that's at the end at the very beginning they that's where they found cap they they the ship where was it, it was the ship first ship and they went and did some spelunking 
ship. It was more like a plane. Um, so then, like you said, boom, flashback. Now the rest of the movie is going to take place in the past. And this is just the flashback. Um, and we're in New York City. We're introduced to a very small, very skinny Steve Rogers as he's being rejected from military. Sir, he's trying to uh, be recruited for the military to serve for World War II. But this kid is like a sickly kid, super skinny. He's got all kinds of problems, too. And so they're yeah. like, sorry, we can't use you. It was basically made from the leftover parts from his parents' genetic gene pool. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, now, his best buddy is James Bucky Barnes, and he's enlisted. Like, he's going to be going into the military. He's, he's you know, he's he's made it. Uh, they end up going to this, this um, like a World's Fair type of thing for technology. I think it was called the World's Fair. Oh, nice. Um, and while they're there, there's a, a place where you can go and and get recruited, you know, because they were recruiting men for World War II everywhere, you know, ball games, you know, bowling they, alleys. I think they were called recruiting offices, and I'm pretty sure they still exist. No, but they would like let set, set a lot all those things up at like you'd set up tables too at anywhere you could at, at those times. Like a pop up, right? So he wants to try again. He's going to give it a shot again, and they're like, "Yeah, you can't." Um, and he's kind of down about it, and he's telling Bucky about like why he wants to, why he wants to serve his country, and and just this, you know, this need to to do his best to help. And somebody's listening in on this conversation. We find out that there is this guy. What's his name? Doctor Abraham Erskine, and he he talks to him, and he says, "You know what? We're going to let him enlist because we've got plans." This I, this is all paraphrased, obviously, right? The big thing though is that he's German. And yes. Who, who are we at war with? Exactly. Germany. Uh, he finds out he's being recruited for this, this scientific research thing that they're doing, this, this super soldier experiment. And um, to prepare for it, they're starting to get him ready to, you know, to go to war. So he starts to go through boot camp like every other soldier. But like you see, they, there's this scene where all these soldiers are lined up, right? And, and Agent Carter's coming around. Um, she's not an agent then, right? She's just uh, what is she, Captain? No, uh, she's still an agent. Oh, is uh, she? I just refer to her as Agent Carter. Oh, okay. She comes around, and you know, you can see her lining them up. She's pretty, she's tough herself. But as this camera goes by, you see all these guys, and then there's this the kind of missing spot between, and you can tell the little helmet down there is Steve Rogers. But this kid is is doing everything he can. He's trying his hardest. Right? There's a scene where uh, Tommy Lee Jones shows up and throws a dummy grenade at the ground. Right. And says grenade, and all these men just go running. Well, and the reason for that was because Erskine was there saying that he feels that Steve is the heir apparent to, or not the heir apparent, but he is the the de facto choice, mm -hmm. and because he has, because it, the we, that's when we find out that he's developing a formula that will enhance everything about the right. person, including any you know what's inside. Right. And so if you're an asshat, you become a mega asshat. Right. You become Biff from Back to the Future. Biff, alternate 1985. Right. Right. Exactly. Uh, but Biff at the end of the reset. Right. But if if you have the qualities that Steve has, this desire to do good, the desire to do what needs to be done to make sure the world is at peace. Right. He knows right. that's going to amplify it. If you have a basically the, the doctor says, if you, those that have respect for power, can stay humble but those that have no respect for power like the big muscle bound guys that were all there the soldiers 
basically the uh, the grunts then they'll just you know then they'll they'll use it for let's say personal gain or or whatever yeah um after see after having watched him go through drills like he's trying to climb the 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 net rope and he's he's obviously failing at that right he's going underneath the barbed wires and and some of the other guys are picking on him and making it tougher for him um but they are noticing that this guy this kid just keeps going no matter what no you can't keep him down so while they're having this conversation the scientists and and he's a general right uh tommy lee's character yes yeah the general are talking the general's just like you you gotta be kidding me right like this is the guy and he ends up grabbing a dummy grenade, throwing it out there, saying, you know, grenade, all the guys take off. And Steve Rogers jumps on it and just is sitting there waiting. And everybody's looking at him like, what the? F-? And he says, you know, it's a dummy. And you can tell that's this is a key moment. This is a moment that shows us this is who this guy is and that like, this scientist is right. Yep, absolutely. And, the, and it, it really it uh, it reaffirms what the doctor was thinking and it kind of it's very telling for how disappointed Tommy Lee Jones uh General Phillips how disappointed he is in everybody else for being as selfish as they are right for this scrawny kid who I think what did they say he weighed 95 pounds yeah yeah uh, that's insane yeah that that how how this kid was just so willing in camp to just end it all for himself at the, you know, for the, the sake of his entire training squad. Yeah. Um, later that night, it's the night before this thing, this experience, this procedure that's going to go down. Um, you know, he says that, you know, the, the scientist meets with him and the, and you can tell he's kind of nervous. He talks about being a little nervous. He says, you know, it's nothing to be nervous about. And he starts to tell him a little bit about how this stuff works. And then he also lets him know that we've tried this already before and it didn't work out so well. Right. He has tried it. Right. Um, the government. Yes. And that there was some permanent side effects to the person that dealt that had, you know, had tried this. Um, we're cool. So they decided, all right. Oh, no. Now we get cut. We cut away. Right. We cut away now to now we're introduced to some nefariousness happening. There's this vehicle. What was the kind of car? What was that car? What's that kind of is that a specific type of car? I think it's called a badass 2000. It was fucking awesome, but I love the shot when the car just comes up to the camera and you got the medallion on the front of Hydra. It's so sweet. Yeah, it is a real car, though. Um, keep talking and I'll find what it's called. Um, we see this this guy get out, right? One of these German officers gets out and he walks into this building where there's a scientist working with the Tesseract, right? Dr. Armin Zola. He's okay. very important. He comes back much later uh, in, in, the, in a different phase of Marvel Universe. Yes. Uh, you want to know what kind of car this is? What is it? It's called a, uh, where is it at? It is a, it's uh, Red Skull's 1942 V16 Hydra Schmidt Roadster. So it's a, it's a V16. I mean, because it's about six miles long from the foot ornament to the end of the windshield. It is immense i mean it's it's intimidating the way that it's always positioned with the camera is i mean there's no nascar shots that are like that but it is you know it is a uh a, an imposing piece of machinery yeah and the first time we see it it's imposing it literally just comes straight up to the camera you know what i mean um so we find out that they have this thing right that they had come in contact or they had acquired the tesseract 
and they're working with it. They're trying to harness its power. And um, Schmidt, that's his name, right? Schmidt. Johann Schmidt. Johann Schmidt. Uh, he's he's basically thinking to himself, if we can harness this, this kind of power, like we don't even need Hitler. Like we're going to be the, what you know, we're going to be running the world. So now we know this exists. We know that there's this kind of shadier side of the Nazi regime. It's a little darker. They're working on some mystical things here. They're working on some, you know, it's all nefarious. I mean, Nazis were nefarious, but these are darker. These, this is the, the shadow government of the Nazis. It's the science division. He wants to create what we find out later. Spoiler alert. Oh, I won't spoil it. <laughs> uh, I mean, basically, I mean, all of it is he wants to harness the power of the gods. Right? Yeah. Through the yeah. Tesseract, which we find out later is the Tesseract. And the imagery and the, the hiding location and the, you know, it was in um, somewhere that was of Norse, you know, believed in the Norse mythology. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, there was a, the sarcophagus right there that, pretend one was there i think that one was from the odin makes youtube video series if you watch mm-hmm. it you know what i'm talking about you should watch it you would like it chris he makes props out of foam nice but they hit it in this ornate carving mm-hmm. of the tree the you know the tree of life and we've seen that we'll see, we will see that later in the way all planets and realms are interconnected through midgard earth and you just push a button on the snake's eyes the snake is very symbolic of a ton of different, for probably every, not every, uh, probably a good amount of religions would be yeah. my best. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, next, we go back to Steve now. Now it's time for the 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 experiment to go, go down. Um, there's a bunch of men there that are part of the government that are here to watch it go down. The general's there. They're all sitting in a, a booth, right? Agent Carter's there. And we also see Howard Stark. And it's a different actor that ends up playing him later. This is the guy who played him originally in the in the fir- uh, the first phase. But yeah, Howard Stark, uh, which would be you know, is obviously everyone knows is Tony Stark's father, is here in 1942 in the development of the Super Soldier, in the development of Captain America's origins. And I love I love the set design here too because it's got that kind of like 1940s kind of I don't know like futuristic look to it. You know, it really looks like what we think it will look like, like the Jetsons, you know, we're going to be up here above the clouds, you know, Mm -hmm. if you Uh, ever look at artwork from those days and what they thought the future looked like, that's what this looks like. It's awesome. And if, I mean, even if you think about it too, like, you know, I referenced the Jetsons, but you think about men in black, the first one, Mm -hmm. the, you know, like, Oh yeah. Tommy Lee Jones was also in that, you know, so prequel. Um, But (laughs) (laughs) I have to squeeze it in somewhere. Everywhere. (laughs) But, um, but, you know, like they have those from the 1960s World Fair, those two, what, what look like their rides. No, they're just flying saucers and they use those in that yeah. movie you know, for the World's Fair. And it's like futuristic steampunk kind of yes. together. The, and these are kind of similar. I mean, if you ever look at old mainframe computers from like the four, from like the 50s on, a lot of them are tape, tape machines. Which, yeah. Um, and, you know, they're just, they're rooms. They are floors in some cases they are so vast to store such a small amount of data that has to be put in from what looks like a time card that whole room was like 128 megabytes of of information Uh, 
like 128 kilobytes. <laughs> you, you laugh, but it's not it's not far off. It's no, it's, you're right though. Yeah, no, Dominic Cooper is is the perfect Howard Stark. I, I just I love every time he comes on screen in anything. And I don't know if you've seen it. He was great, amazing in Preacher. Oh no, I never watched it. Also, Irish. He's Irish. Mm-hmm. Oh, I never would have guessed it, dude. That was good. Really nice. Uh, yeah. So we find out that Howard Stark is actually a part of running the machines and having invented, you know, this to help uh, deliver the super serum, right? The stuff that's going to to make him Captain America. And remember, at one point in we'll get there uh, in one of the Iron Man movies, he talks about his dad and how his dad worked on the Manhattan Project. Mm hmm. So it would make sense that, I mean, because in the release order, this comes out after the first Iron Man and the second, technically, but it would make sense that, okay, yeah. Yeah. Also would work on this government program too. Right, exactly. And he's that high up, like he's that sought out by the government. Yeah, exactly. And the best civilian pilot, apparently too. (laughs) Uh, So we see this go down, right? So Steve lays in this chamber, these, 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 needles inject them with the serum um they close the thing up and they start turning up the power that's good that's going to it they're just turning it up more and more and more and we start to hear him kind of like not doing so good in there sounds like he's being torn apart and they're hesitant they're almost going to stop it and he's just like no no let me do this right boom again another thing about steve he wants to turn the tide and stop the bullies from a previous fight exactly so um they're done. They open up the 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 chamber and holy crap. Beef. <laughs> Beefcake. <laughs> oh my, oh my. Who ordered the rump roast. <laughs> yeah, we've got um I'll take uh two two halves of cows, please. I would like them both to be beefy. Steve Steve Rogers is no longer tiny and skinny. He's now buffed out Chris Evans. Like not his final form. Insane, dude. Right. Just, just I mean, and it's awesome, dude, because the, the CG. Well, we're going to talk about that later. But like, yeah, he goes from being tiny to this. You're like, holy crap. That's awesome. That worked. Right. Um, he, he is now in the room as opposed to get that kid a sandwich which yeah. they, by the senator right before they started the procedure. Right. So a lot of the senators, some some of the people, I think maybe I don't think it's press, but I feel like one of them or two of them were there. No, that looked like a reporter or something, but they all come down. He was not a reporter. No, he uh, he pulls a gun and shoots the scientist and everybody's like, what the hell? And he grabs one of the vials and takes off. And um, immediately, Steve just runs into action. He's like, all right, this is what I was made for. Boom. Chase starts chasing him, chasing him through the streets. And now we get a sense of what this has done to him as a human being, because he's like leaping on cars, jumping over stuff like no problem. Mm hmm. He's, he's now a baby gazelle learning what he can do. <laughs> I like that. A baby gazelle. Uh, he ends up chasing him out to the, the river. The guy jump uh, jumps in the river. No, he, he threw a cake, grabs this kid as kind of like a, um, a hostage. And Captain America or Steve's like, you know, hey, come on, let's just put the kid down type of thing. And he throws the kid in the river to try to take off. And Steve's like, no question. I'm not going to still chase you. I'm going to go save the kid now. And he does. Like I can swim. Go yeah. Get him. Which was not a con- in context, historical context, 
not everybody could swim at that time. Pools were not really a thing. Right. You don't go swimming in the oceans. Just no way. In the 1800s, we started going into the oceans, the early 1900s. So by now, I mean, maybe a little, but not many. Yeah. But in the ocean, though, like you just don't go too far out. Right. Right. If you, you know, in the 50s and 60s is when vacations to beaches really became a big thing with hotels popping up and, and everything else. Right. Um, Steve ends up catching the guy, though, and he's like, you know, who do you work for? Basically, tell me, who do you work for? Who does number two work for? <laughs> and uh, before he answers them, the guy just pulls like they used to do back in the day. They'd have those cyanide caplets in their mouths that if they got caught, break them and, and kill themselves. Basically, and that's what he does. He commits suicide. So I, I always had a problem with those cyanide those fake teeth because what happens if you get like something stuck you got to remember to take that out before you you eat anything or even in a fight right what if somebody punched you in the mouth and popped that thing open Uh, although remember he had a a, a remote controlled submarine yeah oh that's right he was that was pretty sweet i mean you could still consider it a commentary because uh, on today because there's so much technology that as civilians we have no idea that it really does exist or something that is, uh, you know, used is you know, like we might have a one mile walkie talkie, right? Right. There could be a military grade that's 250 miles. Just, you know, something as basic as a walkie talkie, there could be something that's more, you know, intense or intensified. Yeah. That's not available all to the U unless you go to, I don't know, in the, into the service, yeah. then you can, Maybe. Yeah. Um, so now we have the scientists dead. The super soldier serum is lost, right? They don't have they don't have the serum anymore to continue because the idea was to make a bunch of soldiers this way, not just one. They wanted to make an entire army of these soldiers so that we could finally win the war. Because it was broken. The the last capsule was broken. Right. In, in the final battle between Steve and the turns out he was a soldier of Hydra. Yes. Yes. Oh, that's he says that he says hail Hydra. And then he chews on his his uh, his thing. The standard tagline cut one head off two more grow back in its place. So um, because that's going now, there's no need for uh, Steve Rogers anymore. I mean, we can't have one person go out looking like that. So instead, what they decide to use him for and not send him out to war is they want to use him to get people at home to support the troops. And how did they support the troops in the 40s? Buying war bonds, buying war bonds and collecting scrap metal, all the scrap metal to, you know what I mean? But this he's going out there selling war bonds and he's going, you know, town to town, city to city. It's the same routine, dancing girls, you know, the flags, confetti, him punching Hitler. And that's the thing I loved is that part. Basically, it was a little homage to Captain America, number one, where he punches Hitler on the cover. They showed that as being part of the routine um, of him going out and selling these war bonds, right? And part of that too is the when he first strolls out the first time, you see the progression of how good he gets at it. And yeah. How, I mean, let's be honest, how charismatic Chris Evans can be in this role. Mm-hmm. You know, he goes from, geez, he goes from being, um, sorry, I hit my microphone. <laughs> I told you I would do that. Uh, he goes from being just very wet behind the ears and green and reading every single line off of off every single word off the back of his shield to um, being very good at, you know, very rehearsed and yeah. then 
the little kids are like, he's right there. He's over, you know, like, like the audience trying to get into it and, um, you know, people enjoying it. Yeah. It was an increase and he becomes very, um, business. Yeah. And then he has the wind taken out of his sails because he ends up going to 1940 in 1943, goes out to entertain some active servicemen in Italy. Right. And he, they're out there. And as he's doing this, He's looking out and it's, nobody's cheering. It's not like the cheering crowds he saw back in America. These yeah. are war-torn guys. Mm-hmm. These guys have seen battle. These guys have seen atrocities. And they're looking at him with weary eyes and are kind of annoyed and start throwing stuff at him. Well, and then we find out why they're in the mindset that they're in. Yeah, there was a, a battle where there was a, a bunch of people, a whole unit went MIA, missing in action. Um, and Rogers finds out that this was Bucky's unit, uh, and it was against, it was a, a fight against some of Schmidt's people. So he, they, he's, you know, he doesn't want to believe he's dead. You know, they're, they're like, they're probably dead. He's like, there's no way he's dead. He says, you know what? I'm going to go get him. So he, uh, he enlists the help of agent Carter and Howard Stark to get him flown behind him enemy lines. Cause he's going to go and try to lead men to bring them back. I do. I do really enjoy it. There's one line right in here where she says to, or somebody says to him, do you know what you're doing? He says, yeah, I've knocked out Adolf Hitler over 150 times. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Like, he, he knows exactly what that means. And everyone else is like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? Like what kind of crazy place did he come from? Yeah. So they know they have an, a general idea of where the, you know, this is where these the, the enemy is and where they may be keeping the, the soldiers. And, you know, he ends up getting into there, getting into the base. And that's his first time he comes face to face with Schmidt. And this is where we see the American ideals at that time that kind of we're here for freedom and we're here to stop evil. And we have Schmidt with like, you're you guys are dumb. <laughs> we're going to rule the world and you're pretty dumb. But this is where we see what that. Well, there was a fight between them first. There's a, a fight between them, and you can tell that both of them have kind of the same strength. Um, and so now you know, we find out Schmidt was the guy that had tried the super serum before. And we also find out what the permanent side effects were when he pulls off his face, like in face off, dude, literally rips it right off, and he's the red skull. Yeah, that's, um, I mean, you could kind of sort of see it a little bit up to this point. There were certain scenes that were mysterious like where he was having his uh portrait painted mm-hmm. and zola walked in on his um what his uh his mountain base where he turns off the light and so we can't see his face you could also see where he would like tuck the skin like at the back of his where his jawline met his neck mm-hmm. a little bit of like ruffles there um so this was the big reveal that let's be honest we knew was coming well, yeah, we knew it. But if you'd never seen or read Captain America books, but you were kind of familiar with who this character was and you're along for a ride on 1942, it's kind of jarring all of a sudden to see this red skulled guy talking to, to Captain America. And his nose is, by the way, missing because it's not really a bone. Right. Oh, God. Um, so he ends up going back to, to save all the people from from the, the, save the men, the, 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 the soldiers. POWs. And Bucky is there. Well, separate, but yes, yes, he's also there. So we get this scene when they're returning, right? They're all returning and we see all these soldiers kind of returning back. And the general was just like, 
you know, you disobeyed. You, 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 who do you think you are doing this? Right. But he sees what happened. He sees all these soldiers. And so he kind of like lets him off the hook, basically. But he was ready to take his punishment. Captain America was like, yes, sir, I did. I'm ready for whatever you say. You know what I mean? Like, no worries. I'm going to take this. Yep. Noble and, you know, basically intensifying everything about him that we saw in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Um, so then we see we do see a couple of other characters that are characters from the comics, like Dum Dum Dugan. Um, like his, his for me was very the dude who plays him. He looked great. He looked just like him. Yeah, McDonough. He was um. So was Dum Dum one of the Howling Commandos? Nick Fury's Howling Commandos, right? Uh, all these guys were. How, all the of howling. them were. Okay. So instead of having Nick Fury leading them, we have Cap because Nick Fury. We need him in the future, so he can't be around in 1942. And good luck explaining the Infinity Formula during the Infinity Gauntlet saga. <laughs> if they even play with that, right? Um, yeah. Or um, uh, LMDs, life model decoys, and and all that other stuff. Good. I mean, good luck with all that. That's. that's <laughs> Let's just say those are some big retcons right there. It's crazy, man. There's a lot of stuff that's crazy. So uh, Captain America decides to recruit these guys as his howling commandos, and they're going to go start attacking all the different Hydra bases. So they know that the Hydra is a thing. Uh, Stark starts saying, you know, if you're going to do this, you need to you need to be able to protect yourself and fight, you know, and, and be able to fight back. So he starts giving him advanced equipment that he's got a nice new suit that he's got. Uh, not this kind of cheesy, you know, when he's out on a stage suit. Now he's got a suit that's ready for, for battle. And he gives him the iconic round Captain America shield. This one we find out was made of a vibranium, which is a rare, nearly indestructible metal in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, so we do see this. We see them fighting, the, you know, fighting and, dis- and, and sabotaging a lot of their locations. Great montage, by the way. Yeah. Um, all the while, we also let's call this back real quick. Before he was Captain America, there was a little thing happening between him and Agent Carter. Like Agent Carter could see what a good person this guy was. And I remember there was the one scene where they're talking about, has he ever been to a dance or danced with a girl? And he said he never had. Right. And he's always waiting for the right girl that comes back later. But now, you know, she sees him as honky, honky Chris Evans. And uh <laughs> She's a little she's a little bit more intrigued and they become you can see that things are happening between them. So this is happening as well while they're out there destroying Hydra bases. Yeah. And that montage is great, dude. It's I mean, you know, he's on the motorcycle. He's shooting the gun. I mean, it's like that old the old school 1940s comics, you know? Yep. Yep. It's panels that are literally brought. I mean, they're not shoehorned in like final fight sequence in Civil War, but you know, they, they did a good job on this movie of squeezing those in where it made sense yes 1945 um they find out that there's a train carrying dr zola and they're going to go get him they're going to go stop them and get him and they start battling a bunch of hydra agents there's a big fight um explosions are happening they they capture zola but they also lose a man mm-hmm. and this is one of the scenes that's again it's going to be an impactful thing in the marvel cinematic universe um we see Bucky is is dangling right. The train's on the side of this cliff that just goes down into this ravine, and he just can't hold on. He ends up just slipping off, and that's it. He watches his friend just float away and just fall. Can't even reach him. He's like reaching out for Bucky, and Bucky's just a bit out of reach. And the there was an explosion on the train car, and mm-hmm. the metal gives way, and with Bucky, it falls. Yeah. 
so they end up getting info from Zola and finding out, you know, where the where the final Hydra stronghold is located. And they're going in. They're going in to take out the Red Skull. And we see this. We see this battle go down. I mean, there's a lot of fighting that happens. Um, we end up going to where the Red Skull uh, takes the Tesseract and gets on a plane and is taken off. Captain America gets on the ship as well, and there's a battle going on there. They're fighting. Red Skull ends up dropping the Tesseract. It burns a hole in the bottom of the, the, the plane and just drops down into the ocean below. Uh, but that happens after he handles it physically. Oh, that's, that's right. That's right. Because what happens when he touches it, when he grabs it, actually physically grabs the Tesseract, all of a sudden behind him, whoosh, this wormhole opens up and just sucks him out. And the Tesseract just falls to the ground and burns through the plane and it's gone out into the ocean. And now this plane is is it's it's loaded with weapons of mass destruction, right? And the whole point was it was it was being aimed to go across the ocean and hit New York City dead on. And uh Steve jumps into the cockpit and he's like, "You know what? We can't say we can't stop. The only thing I can do is put this down, put it down in the ocean because he's out there by the Arctic. And he's like, the only thing I can do is to save us is put it down. And he's talking to to Agent Carter and some of the other people who are at the the main base. They're calling him on the thing. And uh, again, this is Steve Rogers, man. This is a guy who he's going to jump on the grenade. He does what he has to do. Right. And um there's that moment where they're talking and there she's just like, no, I'm just going to see you, you know, when you get back, we're going to go get that dance. And he's talking to her. And then all of a sudden the, the sound cuts out and that's where we leave that. Mm-hmm. Then we see Steve Rogers laying on a bed, kind of like a hospital room. Like he's recovering. We see the second act of Encino man start to take place. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, or um, what was that movie where blast from the past? Jeez, Brendan Fraser. <laughs> well, Encino Man was Brendan Fraser. Yeah, he, he did the both both of those men at a time things, right? Um, Steve Rogers wakes up. There's a ball game or something that's playing on the radio. You can hear it, you know. And he wakes up. You know, he's kind of out of it, and um, he's like, "Wait, wait a second. He realizes something's wrong. There's a nurse that comes in, and he says, "You know, what's going on?" He goes, "Where am I? What's going on?" And she says, oh, you're here. And it's this day. He's like, no, 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 no. The ball game there. I remember that. That's the ball game from. And he says whatever the date was for the ball game. He, he says he was at that game. So way to way to do your research. <laughs> <laughs> right. Immediately, he freaks out and just busts through this wall. Right. Or, or bus. Pat- Wait, did he go through the wall? Um, he ran. He threw at least two people through the wall. That's what it was. He, they came in to try to sedate him and he threw him into the wall. Uh, through the wall and he realizes what the hell this is a stage like this isn't a real place and when he gets out now he's in a modern looking building he goes running out you know and everybody's like high alert go get him we can't we can't let him get out and then he busts out into the streets and we find him in the middle of Times square and he is just overwhelmed now all of a sudden we have you know, modern, the, a lot of the buildings are much more modernized. We have all of this neon signs, traffic, all the cars look different. The amount of people, just the amount of people is just overwhelming. And uh, then we also see Nick Fury and Nick breaks it to him. He's like, dude, you've been asleep. You've been on ice for however many years it is now. Right. Cause now it's like 70 years. Whereas, like I said, in the comics, right. It was such a smaller amount of time, but the way they made this was like, look, 
this is a lot of t- you've been gone for a long time. There's a lot to catch you up on. Um, and that's that's our movie. Well, until we get our little scenes at the end, right? Which this one wasn't really a post credit scene. It was more of a post credit trailer <laughs> to a degree. Yeah, that's what they did with Spider-Man, right? When they dropped the multiverse trailer in there. I mean, they did the same thing for um, for Ant-Man, um, but they're, they've been pretty good about not doing that. But this is before they really got the post-credit game. Yeah, on lock. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, this is it. Now we're seeing that Captain of the, the Avengers is coming. There's a scene where, where Nick Fury's talking to Cap and saying, I'm putting together a team type of a deal. And we see the trailer for the Avengers. And we're good. We're done. That's our movie. This is our introduction to Captain America. This is how they brought him into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They said, what we're going to do is tie him to the story we're trying to tell in modern times and do the story from Captain America, Avengers 4, Captain America 100, where he was frozen on ice. And that's how we're going to bring him back and tie in the whole Tesseract to this, too. You know? Yeah. It was the first Infinity Stone that we saw um, chronologically or in release order. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In terms of the story, I mean, I loved it. I thought this was great. There's a lot of people that don't like this one. They think it's a slower one. But the more I watch it, the more I just really, really love this movie. I think it's done really well in terms of the plot, the story we're watching. Yeah, and and, I mean, it's the first non-Corman Captain America movie. Uh, Those are interesting movies if you've ever seen any of them. Oh, I've got it on DVD. (laughs) It's It's two of them on one. Bold choice, my friend. <laughs> it was a joke oh. gift. Somebody, I think Brandon got it for me when we did back issues back in the day. Um, the, uh, the the interesting thing is the the guys that wrote this movie also wrote Civil War, uh, Winter Soldier, Infinity War, which in, which Winter Soldier is highly regarded by many Marvel Cinematic fans as the best Marvel one so far. It's, I mean. It, for a while there, it was every single one was better than the last. And then they hit a high watermark. Uh, I, I think I'd have to double check, but I think uh, my own, I'd have to look at the list of everything that came out, but I'm pretty sure that that's one of the ones that was, that's probably my high watermark too. Um, spoiler. We'll find out, we'll find out together if that is in fact still true. Um, but yeah, there, I mean, that one's got so many different layers and you're just like, Oh, like every Captain America film has a, a big reveal of like, mm-hmm. shit, I wasn't expecting that. But yeah, the, it's the same writers. It's just they have the origin story is always harder because you have to set up who the character is, what they stand for, what we're working towards. And that shorthand is then already there and established so that you can tell a story in the second one or in yeah. the third or subsequent releases. And this one managed to do enough where you build the character and do that plus tell a story that is instrumental to what's happening in, in the universe. You know what I mean? What they're trying to do in the long run. There's positive upward character progression in this one as well. And that's obviously a good thing. Um, so let's get into the actors that played these characters. Chris Evans as Steve Rogers, Captain America. I think like that's Captain America now. I think, you know what I mean? Having seen him so much now, that's why it feels that way. But even then, when when I saw the movie, I was just like, this dude's great. This is a good Captain America. Yeah, I mean, he looks the part. He fills out the uniform pretty well. You don't need the, it's not like one of those spirit Halloween puffy muscle outfits. Um, 
you know, I mean, I'm sure there's some some firm padding here and there just to make it look like he's, you know, a formidable foe for anybody that would, you know, stand up against him. But yeah, dude, uh, I feel like Chris Evans was good in this. And also just the kind of way he plays the character. He does play this character extremely believable and it doesn't come across as a Boy Scout. It comes across as somebody that, I mean, they're just a genuinely good person and they're going to do what's right. They're going to always fight for what's right. Well, I mean, that is the that is the continual argument is Steve Rogers, just a Boy Scout or is he a guy that never grew up or did he ever? I mean, there is limited depth to a character that just does whatever he's that is a yes man right but i think the depth comes in in being the fish out of water well man at a time yeah that's you know what i mean completely yeah i mean that's the depth i mean in the avengers movie they make a wizard of oz reference and he's like i get that one (laughs) you know the flying monkeys Um, and later and later so here you're right there's there's not as much depth in terms of that kind of thing but later we get more because later we get things that he's got to deal with decisions he's got to make where right and wrong isn't as clear. And that's, and that's the, is he a yes man to those that quote run the show like the right. government? And that's why in the comics, he becomes nomad with, exactly. and they bring in a different guy. I mean, this is all Falcon winter soldier TV show stuff, but you know, they bring in another guy uh, to be Steve Rogers uh, because Steve Rogers or to be captain America mm-hmm. and you know, so on and so forth. And it's, you know, it kind of plays on a lot of these pre or earlier setup things of is Steve Rogers the the best choice? Yes, because it in, intensifies or enhances everything about that person right down to their morals and values. Yeah. Tommy Lee Jones as Colonel Chester Phillips. I just like Tommy Lee Jones. I feel like these are the kinds of characters he plays well. You know what I mean? Very matter of fact, very authoritative and higher ranking in some sort of, you know, organization. Very much an Agent J, men in black, you know? Yes. He really is. Um, he looked old in this movie, though. Like the makeup couldn't have been, like, I don't know if that was supposed to be that he was supposed to look old, like a grizzled old war veteran, or if he's just like, nah, I'm good with makeup today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm TJJ. Yeah. Um, but I thought he was awesome, dude. He has that gruff, you know, thing. But there's that gruff side that, like, that time when he's just like, he can't believe this is going to be the kid. That when he sees it, there's kind of like this, okay, I'll go with this. You know what I mean? Like, and there's disappointment immediately after that. Like he said, he's never expecting a win. Right. Because, you know, like when he's like, uh, he, because then he can half-ass appreciate, you know, a win. But then he's never, son of a gun. You know, he's never like, oh, I was expecting this to go the other way. He's just never set up for failure or he's everything's set up for failure for him. Yeah. So he's just never ready for a win. Hugo Weaving as Johann Schmidt, a.k.a. the Red Skull. So we saw Hugo Weaving for me. He came on the scene with Matrix. Like, that's the first time I ever saw him. I don't know if that was his first role, but that's the first time I saw him. Yeah, that it wasn't his first role, but I think he did a lot of theater stuff before that, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Every time I see him, though, I always just think of him as one of the agents, the, the agent, what is it, whatever his name is, in The Matrix. He's a, an everyman, basically. Yeah, agents. Oh, every time I see yeah, it's always, oh, there's Agent Smith. But, you know, now it's there's the Red Skull because he's the Red Skull. And I think he played this great. I think it was awesome. He is the He is exactly what Erskine was talking about, where it intensifies everything about that person 
inwardly outward and upward. Yeah. His hate, his disdain, his, I mean, he was an effectively as a Nazi. So, yeah. you know, um, Haley Atwell as Peggy Carter. So here's my thing with Peggy Carter and I never watched the show. Okay. So my thing with agent Carter in this is that this for me is another, this is a character that really doesn't have too much depth. This is a character who's there to show us that first of all, she's a strong female in a, in a male dominated world, the military, you know, the government, she can hold her own, but we have to see that there's, we have to have a love interest for, for Steve Rogers, because it's going to help pull at your heartstrings later on at the end of the movie. It's going to add more emotion to that. You know what I mean? And that's where I see her like agent car. She's and, and she was good and in, in how she acted. I mean, I wasn't any, it wasn't bad acting, but the character itself for me, again, without seeing the show, isn't one of depth for me. But I mean, this was a, a character that gave emotion to, I mean, it's a standard Hollywood trope of, Hey, we're going to have, male female or not even not, not have to be male female but have a character bonding moment you mean you had steve and bucky you know you have howard and steve and you have steve and peggy um mostly uh in the second half because bucky is off screen so uh, there, there's that you have that as a um uh, you have that as their your it, it's your standard trope yes there's a little bit more romance there than with steve and bucky because there isn't any with Stephen Bucky. They're just really good friends uh, through it all. But um, yeah, I mean, the character doesn't have a lot of depth. There, there's more development of the character as you go through uh, beyond this this movie. Speaking of Bucky, Sebastian Stan, James Buchanan, Bucky Barnes. So in the comics, the original Bucky was actually a child side, not a child, but a kid sidekick for Captain America back in the day. That was the idea, right? Like you had Batman. So let's put the boy wonder in to get the younger kids to read. Uh, we have Captain America. Sure. Some of the older kids might be reading it, but we want younger kids doing it too. So let's give him a, a, a younger sidekick. Um, they obviously went kerplosh on that for the cinematic universe and said, no, he's actually going to be a peer. They're going to be the same age. This isn't a relationship where, you know, Bucky, is the one that's kind of the bit the the his he takes care of Steve when Steve is scrawny he's always getting beat up by people and Bucky comes in to help him out and then when the it the kind of roles reverse all of a sudden now Steve's the one taking care of everyone and saving Bucky um Sebastian Stan I thought did a good job in this but again it's not too deep yet like we have we see a little bit of information and, and things happening with them on screen with the character um but I feel I don't I don't know. Maybe I just needed a little more, but when, when that, when that happens, when he falls, right. And Steve can't get to him in time. It didn't have as much of an emotional impact. I think as the very end, when he's talking to Peggy, right. I mean, I, for me, it didn't, but it, I don't think it had to do with the acting. I just think the character itself hadn't had enough. Oh, what's what I'm trying to say to kind of. There wasn't enough emotional attachment for the viewer. Imprint it. Yeah. Imprint that into it, you know? Well, this is my take on that as to why, because it's not called the Bucky Barnes story, <laughs> right? Captain America. It's not called the first Avenger that watches friend die, right? I mean, first friend that died of the first Avenger. It's, you know, it's a, we, we follow the entire movie watching Steve, right? Follow the entire movie watching Bucky. He is an important character yeah. uh, in the, in Steve Rogers life up until this point. And then their past a verge to a degree 
you know, mm-hmm. and, and um, you know, Bucky goes off to war. He becomes more important later on as it goes. And, um, and the interesting thing is we don't really know what happened to Bucky before he fell off the train while he was in captivity because right. he was in the torture room. Separate. Um, Correct. They had him separated. Well, we uh, find out later. Um, and that's the other thing. I feel like with with Bucky, he does be we get more depth with him later on. We definitely get more depth yeah, through flashbacks, of course. But for here, you're right. If this is Captain America's story, we want to see the our, our actual main characters, you know, more depth and things happening with them. But Bucky served his role here and he played him well. He played him. I think he played him awesome. Yeah, I mean, he did a great job of playing the friend who was uh, the big man on campus until Steve became the big man on campus. And then, you know, there's there's that that uh, back and forth of, well, now I'm invisible, you know, where once once everyone's like, oh, it's look, it's uh, oh, look up there. It's Steve Rogers. Yeah, down there it's Steve Rogers. It's there's that emotional depth of Steve lost. And then there was a build for him and Peggy and then Peggy lost. But we saw what happened to Steve through Peggy, you know, and, and therefore there was more emotion there. Yeah. Uh, your boy, Dominic Cooper, Howard Stark, a very integral part to the Marvel universe and especially cinematic Marvel universe. We realize like so many things about Howard Stark all the way up to even his death are very, very integral into, you know, how it affects certain characters and storylines in the Marvel cinematic universe. So seeing him in this Howard Hughes style role, you know what I mean? That kind of a lot of money, but this dude's super intelligent and he's putting it to work. Like we said earlier with the government, he didn't have to be on screen long, but this dude, like he nails Howard Stark nails that character. Well, and and he, he takes the arrogance that, that um, Robert Downey Jr. uses for uh, Tony Stark dials it back a little bit, but his swagger and his confidence and his charm are all spot on and you know down to like the beard and the facial hair is is a little more unique and just it's like you, you could see exactly what they were going for and exactly how they they, they nailed it i think wardrobe and, and casting did a great job of you know finding his what's the opposite of progeny couldn't tell you <laughs> The reverse progeny, his dad. There you go. <laughs> um, I love this actor, Stanley Tucci as Dr. Abraham Erskine. Stanley Tucci is great in everything he does. He really is. And just for the small amount of time that he's on screen, there is a, he puts a lot into the way he interacts with Steve that you immediately know that this guy cares. This guy is really looking to, to kind of stop what Germany's trying to do. And like you care about it so that when he does get shot, it affects Steve. Like it hits him hard and you get it. You understand why. And it's all with that, just that minimal amount of time on screen that Tucci's just killing it in this character. Small role, big impact easily. I, and I love him, dude. I love him. I love him in every, almost everything he I've ever seen him in. Um, I don't think I've seen him in all, everything, but you know what I mean? There's a lot to see. <laughs> Um, and then real quick, there's a, a few other characters on here. We're not going to go into all of the Howling Commandos, but you mentioned Neil McDonough as Timothy Dum Dum Dugan. Christopher Lambert Light. <laughs> he had the look, man. I mean, obviously they made him look good, uh, but he played well. I thought, you know, he played that kind of hard, gritty fighting character next to the Howling Commandos. Mm-hmm. Samuel L is back as Nick Fury. In this film, we say back, but if you're going chronologically, this would be the first time we see him in modern day New York City. And he's exactly how we see Nick Fury. He's 
there's not you're not going to get emotion from him you're not going to see emotional ties to him you get this authoritative figure he's kind of like tommy lee jones right uh but he's got that kind of authoritative says it this is how it is you know he doesn't sugarcoat anything and he's the guy that kind of look cap we didn't want to have to break it to you this way but this is what's going on he doesn't want to sugarcoat it but eventually he will uh, just excise entire truths about things <laughs> yeah uh, he becomes very much a government puppet at some point and yeah. there's a lot of storylines surrounding that as well another character toby jones as armin zola um this again like i said later this because this character is very important later 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 on later phases of marvel cinematic but this is our first introduction to him and he plays that kind of that that mad scientist well not mad but that scientist you know where there's also a little bit of fear from who he's working with you know what i mean and so i'm going to do what i need to do uh there's a moment where he just wasn't it he forgets to like say hail hydra or something because he's just so scared and wants to get out of the room i think he's scared he's just doesn't agree fully with a lot of things and he kind of reserves uh his statements and then he's more or less like all right well we're looking at you now cowboy what are you going to do about it yeah oh, step in line and then we have to we're gonna when we do these we're always gonna have to mention the stan lee cameo stan lee was actually the one the general so when i said Tommy lee jones he's actually a colonel stan lee is the general in this film and we see him kind of driving by no where was he 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 was he's one of the general or he's one of the guys in the audience at one of the that's it america um bonds bonds. things yeah war bonds things that's right um Am I missing anybody else that stood out to you in terms of acting? Uh, I mean, Kenneth Choi, just because he shows up later as a descendant of himself. Which, oh, does he? Yeah, he plays the principal in the Spider-Man, uh, the first Spider-Man movie. Oh, nice. No, uh, what Homecoming. Uh, he plays the principal and you see a picture of his grandfather or himself. And, you know, uh, the Howling Commandos in his uh, nice. in the school. That's awesome. I never, I never caught that. That's awesome. That, I think that's pretty much it um, from from most of the main characters. It's a for them. I mean, it's a big cast, but it's a small cast in terms of the main players, those that are quote relevant. Exactly. All right, let's move on to the music and soundtrack. So it's mostly all score, aside from the Star Spangled Banner, which has words. I don't think they'd used any 1940s music at all. No, but it's all similar to, it's all in that vein. I mean, Alan Silvestri does does the... The entire which, thing, yeah. But, I mean, the Star-Spangled Man with a plan is used, if you listen closely in certain um, ensembles... Oh, yeah, Star, Star-Spangled Man. Yeah. Star-Spangled Man with a plan. Uh, you hear that throughout the movie. You hear that there are certain chords and certain arrangements that are used in future movies uh for each you know each character has a theme an auto mm-hmm. and periodically they will play a portion of it at the initial introduction or uh, of the character in that movie or in to a, it's very it's incredibly subtle incredibly subtle but you know i thought it was good for me anytime i hear this anybody who i mean Mar- marvel their scores 
are just killer. They're so cinematic. They're so grandiose. They're so, you know, big. It feels like you need an entire orchestra to play this. And for this film, it's got that 1940s kind of vibe to a lot of the a lot of the the score. Um, but it's just, you know, it's beautiful. These are the kinds that I'd put on to listen to by itself. You know what I mean? I mean, and you know, we, we talked a little bit about cinematography. Um but you know part of it too i think is the the, the color palette also complements you know the audible arrangement the audio arrangements and, oh yeah you know and everything else that really makes it feel like a period piece and the uh and and then you know also the use of the ball game on the radio adds to the sound and adds to the the feel of you know well, the era crackle uh, of am radio because that's all it was at the time mm-hmm. there was no such thing as fm it was all am and and all garbage yeah um so there you go there's our sound and soundtrack let's go into special effects because this has some special effects mm-hmm. i mean it's not a marvel movie if you don't have some sort of computer generated special effects and I mean, we talked about it at the beginning to see Chris Evans as a scrawny kid. It's kind of jarring to see such a big head on a tiny body because his head's slightly still the same sized head. Well, that, but they also slimmed it. I mean, yeah, tiny jawline. Well, they slimmed that down, which is that the beginning of their de-aging process? You know, where like they actually shaved part of his face. Mm-hmm. Like, they brought they like they made it more gaunt because you have Chris Evans head just Photoshop it onto like a hundred pound kid's body and it's hilarious it's like a photoshop that i don't know a sixth grader would do yeah yeah so the head and you just copy it over here it's like (laughs) that makes uh perfect sense in air quotes but i I watched some some like 10 minute short one time that showed how they did it and it was like they had to film every scene like three or four times because they had to have the actor fill um doing their part, like the opposite actor. They had to have Steve for his head do it. They had to have the little guy do it for his body and body language. And they had to be almost exactly precise in how they moved and, and looked and, you know, turned their bodies and everything. But they had like, there were Apple boxes, which is just a platform that actors stand on. They're just called Apple boxes. And, you know, there were like, they, they had fl- like Steve or Chris Evans is taller. So they had to have like the floor where the floor would go down and like, like, geez, it's a good thing. It was only like the first third of the movie. Cause this is intense. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But that that's in there, obviously, you know, the makeup effects for the red skull, the way that looks, which I, like to, I thought looked awesome. I'd like to think that a lot of that was practical, at least the red makeup. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously you can easily rip off a mask of a face. We've all seen Halloween. Right. And Halloweeny, which is a different movie altogether. Um, it's an animated kids movie for those of you who haven't heard of it. It's about a dachshund. I promise it really is. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's, I, there's so much here in terms of special effects. We can't pick at every single thing, but what I can tell you is that it looks good. Like, you know, we're already at an era where you remember when ILM used to be the top 
like you went to them for special effects. And now there's just so many companies out there and they all work together too. Like if you ever watch these credits at the end of the films, they're crediting all of these different artists from all the different companies that worked on these movies. And there's like 10, 12 different companies that work on special effects in these movies. And for me, I just, I thought all of it looked good. I didn't, aside from the kind of jarring feel of the, the bigger head, tiny body thing. Other than that, I thought all of this looked really, really good, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the biggest achievement was putting a big head on a little body. Yeah, yeah, look natural. Exactly. Um, all right, let's uh, let's give us our, our last thoughts and ratings. And we're doing this on five dummy grenades out of five dummy grenades. You want to go first? You want me to go first? Um, yeah, I'll go. Um, so, I mean, this movie kicked off the Steve Rogers arc. There were a total of three movies um, specifically called captain america is something or other and i mean this one sets up the origin who the character is uh, i mean it is more of an intense origin in terms of cinematic feats than than with um like emotional origins like iron man that we'll come to see or thor which different people have different opinions on that one you know but you know it's uh there's there's a uh, there's a lot to to this movie uh the score is great the plot is pretty dense but if you boil it down to it's a little kid that gets bullied and he and it takes place during world war ii a little kid gets bullied and he doesn't like bullies he wants to do something about it so he tries and tries and tries and he hustles until he can find a way to stop the bully and then he systematically does that and he gets followers and basically his, the howling commandos and then he has to do ultimately what some people do in real world have to do to stop the biggest threat of all, right? That's pretty much the whole movie. If you want to summarize it, there's a whole lot more to it. There's a whole lot more characters involved that, that get him from little baby Steve to big boy Steve, right? And, you know, the, they all mesh and meld very well. The story, though it's not their best story, Marcus and McFeely did a wonderful job on this script. And the execution of the script, I thought was pretty effing good. Uh, there's a lot of Easter eggs for those of us that know what to look for. You know, the cab door with the with the star on it. Oh, that he, yeah, that was so cool, dude. The very first time he's using a quote unquote shield. Yeah, when he's doing his goofy ass outfit uh, on the, the War Bonds tour and he's got the original shield. the co- And the comic book uh, accurate uh, costume. Including then, the swashbuckling boots, dude. Everything. It looks so good. Then you know, then he grabs one of the girl, the the girls that are uh, the dancers that are with him. Are uh, the one of them has a U, one of them has an S, one of them has an A on their helmet, and he just happens to grab the A helmet, which mm-hmm. America, and you know, it's got the wings on the side, not the actual wings themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, not the, the physical wings, but just a paint on. Uh, at one point, he's got the uh, the goggles up over top of the helmet, and the straps are just dangling. I mean, it's all fan service from a from a studio that was a baby studio at this point. You know, it was their what third, maybe fourth move. I think yeah. fourth. And the, the montage with him on the motorcycle, you know, like that that from the comics. I mean, that just all of these little things that like the punching Adolf Hitler. What was the what was it a panhead or a flathead? Was his comic was his uh, motorcycle? I know it was a. It was a Harley, but it was like an old, it wasn't, an, it was an old series, probably one that they've revived and discoed a hundred times, discontinued uh, like a hundred times by now. But I mean, it's an old 
timey of the time, obviously, um, um, motorcycle um, uh, series. But, you know, I, I think the plot was great. There was one plot hole that I, as you were talking through the plot, never stuck out at me before. When they go into this ship uh, toward the beginning and at the end of the movie, mm-hmm. wouldn't those weapons still be alive? I would think so. Right? Why didn't they explode part of the Arctic Circle? Well, because it went into water. But I mean, yeah, I would think the same thing. I'm not a biochemist, and I never claim to be, but would it be? Don't they detonate those things underwater because they're either more absorbent or something? Maybe. I don't know. Um, the visual, uh, you know, you were mentioning the visual effects just a moment or two ago. Uh, it says the film features nearly 1,600 visual effects shots, which were split between 13 companies. So there's a lot of visual effects, and there would just be even more and more and more. And to honestly, to make these movies look as good and as, quote, realistic and natural as they do, you know, without like, oh, look at that green screen ending of Halloween 3, <laughs> you know getting in some quality, um, you know, not having the director write the music. Um, <laughs> a lot of it, a lot of attention to detail too, like the, uh, the, the dress uh, and it's the wardrobe, the cars, the guns, the fashion, all that stuff. Um, the, there's one part too, where they go in right before they go in, as they're going into the, the front, which is the, um, the bookstore or whatever, before they actually go into the, wh- where did this room come from behind the bookcase, you know? Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a, a secret code, like a war code, you know, lovely weather we're having. Um, yes, but I never go outside without an umbrella, I think. Yeah. Is the, um, and then the lady pushes a, her, um, her Matt Lauer button and it opens up a, uh, <laughs> too soon. Uh, <laughs> cut that out if you want. Here's take two. Uh, no, that's it, awesome. <laughs> that's staying uh, in. Uh, that does not condone, but it does condemn uh, uh, the use of that button in non-wartime times. Uh, that's my opinion, by the way. Chris, yeah. you have a different one. You're on your own with that. No, 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 no. I'm with that. I'm with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you want to cut it out, don't you? <laughs> anyway, she presses the big red button underneath um, and in they go. You know, just just the use of these little things that are, it, it adds to the mystique as well, you know, of, hey, wartime, let's pull out all the stops. Let's figure shit out. Let's get weird. Speaking of weird, I watched a video on how, um, those code, those code things that they used in World War II. Um, I can't remember what they were called. Um, the Enigma machines. Those things are intense, by the way. I will really? send you. That. Oh my goodness, it is wild. Dude. Yeah, send that to me. I'd like to see that. Twenty-five minutes on how this thing works. Dang. There's also a museum. Uh, I say that because they were used by Germans in a lot of uh, World War II. Um, but you know, just all these weird technologies that were tested and tried out during wartime. I mean, in my ramblings, I think that, you know, for this movie, it was the first Steve Rogers slash Captain America movie that really set up a lot of pivotal points and, and at the time dangling threads that we didn't know were dangling threads that would maybe influence future events. Um, But not knowing, but looking at it in a vacuum and not knowing those things, just based on this movie, I would say that this movie for me, um, I'd say this is a, a I want to say more, but I, I think like four and a quarter at, at the least, um, if not 
if not more, but I think I'm going to stick with four and a quarter right now because there was some goofiness. There was a few things that were a little green screeny that were obvious, but I think all in all, like the story, the, the effects, the music, everything was, was really well done. Nice. I'm close. I'm close. I'm at a 4.5 on that, but I, 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 you know, I'll echo a lot of what you said. It's just, you know, for me, Captain America wasn't a character that I would ever be that interested in, though World War II, I've always been interested in that that history and that stuff. So the fact that we got that in this film, right, was, I mean, I was in. I was in for it. It's a longer movie. It's like, what, 220, two hours and 20 minutes, something like that? Uh, Might be. It doesn't feel that long. No, it doesn't. However, I've heard people say that for them, it drags. And I'm, I can see why they're saying that, but I'm invested. I'm invested into the, the story, the characters, and you have to take that much time to really give us all of this information because there's a lot to take in. I mean, they're laying down the groundwork with the Tesseract. Um, they're introducing characters like Red Skull, who, again, comes into play later on. We get, you know, a lot of the other characters that they're trying to introduce us to because some of them will become pivotal characters um, and actually have, you know, they're actually kind of the reason things go different in the Marvel universe. You know what I mean? They're the linchpin. Um, so it, it needs that. And, and I, I enjoyed it. And so that's the thing. Like, I remember I watched it in the theaters and I, I really enjoyed it. I saw it again when it came out on digital. Um, as soon as it did, I wanted to watch it again and I enjoyed it even more. And for this recording, I watched it twice. And by the fourth time now, or, you know, that seeing it the second time, I mean, I was just like, this is actually really good. It really is. And you need all this stuff. Um, so the, yeah, I feel like this is one of those, the more I watch it, the more I continue to pick out things I missed, notice certain things, you know, and, and just really love it even more. So for me, it does get a 4.5. Um, definitely an important installment in the cinematic universe so that we have an understanding of when the Avengers come, this is why he's your leader, right? Not tony stark not a god a god he's not the one that's leading you it's this guy and this is why um yeah for me awesome 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 4.5 dummy grenades i mean i can't i'm gonna keep it at four and a quarter but i I can't disagree i mean you know you think about what you said there a minute ago too and just to kind of echo what you echoed of me saying initially um but you know the, the movie was two hours four so it did drag for some people for those of us that knew what the hell was happening or what was, we were just, we were just excited to see what was happening and, and the way that they would get us from here to there. Awesome. Yeah, dude, this is awesome. I lo- I'm glad we're going to tackle the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I, this is stuff that I love talking about anyway. And then to, to talk about it in this way is fun too. Now, next week, you said uh, you're going to surprise me. I have no clue what we're watching. So I had this crazy idea the other day. Of, so the MCU is you can see where a lot of the influences come from other movies, other characters, other this, other that. So I figured, why don't we kind of pull that thread a little bit? Um, I'm thinking um, Tommy Lee Jones type uh, with his soldiers and whatnot. Um, Let's tackle the George C. Scott vehicle patent. What's the matter with you? Uh, I guess I just 
my nerves, sir. I, I, I just can't stand the shelling anymore. Your nerves? Well, hell, you're just a goddamn coward. Sitting here crying in front of these brave men who've been wounded in battle. <laughs> Shut up! Don't admit this yellow bastard. Nothing wrong with him. We won't have sons of bitches who are afraid to fight stinking up this place of honor. You're going back to the front, my friend. You may get shot, you may get killed, but you're going up to the fighting. Either that or I'm going to stand you up in front of a firing squad. I ought to shoot you myself, you goddamn bastard. Get him out of here. Send him up to the front. You hear me? You goddamn coward. I won't have cowards in my army. Oh my God. I've never seen that. I wouldn't even know. It is like GI Joe meets Tommy Lee Jones character in this movie. Oh man. With George C. Scott in full dress regalia helmet bandoliers, which is not part of dress by the way, (laughs) standing there behind a Sergeant Slaughter style U S flag stretched the entire length of the screen. Oh, nice dude. Yeah. I'm down. I'm down for this. Is it streaming anywhere? I don't know. I don't care. I have the DVD. (laughs) I'll find it. I would buy it on Amazon anyway, because it is such an interesting look at Patton as portrayed by George C. Scott, who is a character unto himself. But, you know, I I saw this movie one time, like 15 or 20 years ago, but it's like, it's it's like, it sticks in my memory as like, wow. Of a great war general. And, you know, we're talking, this is a World War II movie, right? So is Patton is a biography of World War II and uh, a personality of that time as well. Dude, I'm down. I'm down for this. This should be interesting. Spoiler alert. Whenever we watch the Fantastic Four movie, we'll be watching The Incredibles as well. (laughs) Oh, that's a good one. I like that. Yeah. Don't worry. I got a couple chambered. Awesome. Awesome. All right, guys. Listen, thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Sean, you have anything to say to the people before we head out? Keep doing what you're doing. Hopefully the end is near and we can go back to giving each other real hugs and real high fives. It sounded like it might be. We'll see. Cross our fingers. Hope to die. Stick a needle in our eye. Until then, it is now time to unsilence your phones. 